Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In Hebrews chapter 12, in verses 16 and 17, the writer speaks of Esau. Now, when people refer to Hebrews chapter 12, they're normally thinking in terms of God is going to punish you for your sins in order to encourage you to stop sinning. You need to endure the temptations of life and find ways to overcome these temptations. You need to resist sin as much as possible to the point of shedding blood if necessary. These are the kinds of things that people are normally speaking of when they are looking at Hebrews chapter 12. And, of course, in the previous programs, I've spoken about these verses at length, explaining that these verses have absolutely nothing to do with those perspectives, with that bias. And I explained why in the previous programs. I'm not going to get into that in this program. Instead, I'm going to move on into the subject of Esau. But when people assume this bias of the Christian life is a life of getting over your sin, it's a life of getting the sin out of your life, that that's the purpose of being a Christian, then it's very easy to look at Esau from a perspective that I don't think the writer had any intention of us looking at Esau from that perspective. But because of the biases that people have, they normally look at this and they say things like, Esau gave up his birthright for a bowl of soup. And the bowl of soup was something that satisfied his flesh. And so when we look at this, we should look at this from the point of view of encouraging us not to throw away our salvation or not to throw away our fellowship with God for the indulgence of the flesh. That instead, we should continue to live a life of repentance from our sins and obedience to God so that we don't look like Esau. That's normally the point of view that people will look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17, with reference to Esau. And I, of course, totally disagree. But I did want to say that this is the point of view, that this is the perspective that most people take. I don't think that that's the case, because the Hebrews did not struggle with the temptations of sin like we do right now. The Hebrews had a very different focus in terms of their life existence. They were already trying to live a life of repentance and obedience. In Christianity today, people are generally trying to get people to live a life of repentance and obedience. But back then, these Hebrews, who were the recipients of this letter, were already consumed with living a life of repentance and obedience. And so to speak to them in that context, to say something like, don't be like Esau, don't do things that indulge your flesh at the expense or at the cost of what you may be able to receive on an eternal level, they would say that that doesn't make any sense at all because they were already devoting themselves for that purpose. 
That's a very important thing to understand here, and I think that people miss that because they don't understand the struggles that were taking place between the Apostle Paul and the Hebrews in Jerusalem and in Israel. They don't understand the dynamics and the struggles that were happening, and so because of that, it's very easy to miss this and not realize that the Hebrews were already living a life of repentance and obedience to their satisfaction. They were living a very obedient life to God. But I believe that the writer of this letter is making it very clear that they are missing out on things like the New Covenant that has nothing to do with repentance or obedience. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with a completely different way of life that we live on the basis of the forgiveness of sins that we now already have. On that basis, not on the basis of our obedience, but on the basis of his forgiveness. Those are two entirely different ways of living. And I know it's very difficult for a lot of people who are consumed with a life of obedience to understand this. And the reason why is because they do not know what it is to live a life on the basis of his forgiveness. That's why it's so difficult and why it sounds like I'm saying nothing really at all, because they don't know what it is. It's only when you experience the life of forgiveness. It's only when you experience your God on the basis of his grace and mercy that you can distinguish the differences between the old way of living and the new way of living. But again, if you don't understand and if you don't experience the new way of living, you cannot distinguish between the old and the new until you do. And the only time you can is when you step out by faith and just simply acknowledge that the sin issue between you and your God is over, and never acknowledge anything, anything whatsoever, that leads you to believe that he holds your sins against you. Not for the purpose of giving you an excuse to go out and indulge the flesh, but to give you an understanding and a reason to understand why you can now rest in his love, in his acceptance. Again, not to go out and indulge your flesh, but instead to be the recipient of everything your God has for you. That is the distinction. That is the door that has been opened to you that you must walk in and through in order to experience this. And only then will you understand what I'm saying when I say that there is a clear distinction between the two. But when you don't understand that, it's very easy to go into passages like this and suggest that this is further encouragement to try to get your flesh under control. But the Hebrews, again, would not respond to that because the Hebrews believed that they had already found a way to get their flesh under control. It would make no sense whatsoever to speak to a Hebrew in the time of the Lord Jesus in the context of, hey, why don't you get rid of some of the sin in your life and so you can experience some holiness and sanctification. That was not the way that they were living. The Lord Jesus had to spend the vast majority of his ministry speaking to these people to show them that they actually did have sin in their hearts they were assuming that they had no sin at all. To speak to somebody who believes that they have no sin and tell them to stop sinning means nothing, nothing at all. And so I want you to understand that so that you can see that there is a different way to understand what this writer is saying. There is a very different perspective. Now, to explain this, I'm going to explain the value to the Hebrew for their repentance and their obedience, what they believed they were going to obtain, what they believed they were going to receive for their repentance and obedience. And what they believed that they would receive was what God said they would receive. God said very clearly in the law that if you obey all of the commandments, 
then you will be blessed. He will ensure, he will intervene as much as is necessary to ensure that you are blessed, that you are paid in effect, that you benefit in effect. He will ensure that you are adequately compensated for your obedience to his commandments. And he explains exactly what those blessings are. In the law, there is a clear, complete explanation in many places. My favorite, of course, is Deuteronomy chapter 28, where he gives an entire list of all the things that you will receive if you are obedient to him. And, of course, you could look at the curses that he lists that you would receive if you were not obedient and then just reverse those and assume that you're going to obtain a corresponding blessing to all those curses. If you were to look at it from that point of view, you could say that you will definitely be blessed in the way that he said that you would be blessed. But this is the point, and that is that all of the blessings that he gave, all of the things that he promised that you would obtain if you were obedient to him are blessings in the flesh. That's what's important to understand, that they are blessings that your flesh will be able to benefit from. More flour in your kneading bowl, you will be able to lend and not borrow. Things like that, they all have to do with a person's flesh. So if a person is obedient to their God, they will be able to live in the indulgence of their flesh, but not in the context of sin. Instead, in the context of blessings, in the context of having an abundance of things that would reduce the sufferings in their life, that would reduce the amount of labor that they would have to go through in their life. That type of indulgence of the flesh is what I'm referring to, not the indulgence of the flesh in the context of indulging in that which we know is clearly defined as sin, but instead indulging the flesh in the sense of benefiting the flesh in a reasonably legitimate way, but still is completely separate from the blessings of the Spirit, completely separate from meeting the needs of a person's heart meeting the needs of the inside, instead just meeting the needs of the outside, meeting the needs of the hands and the feet and the stomach, things like that, not really dealing with the issues of the need for love, for acceptance, for meaning, for purpose, for understanding, for sober-mindedness, for respect and honor, things like that that can only come from our God. And that which he gives is the only thing that can possibly satisfy the deepest needs that we have. He created us in such a way that only he can do this. Nothing else on this earth can accomplish that. So that's the difference here. The difference between what the Hebrews were seeking and what the writer of this letter to the Hebrews was saying is that the Hebrews were seeking blessings in their flesh and the writer consistently spoke of blessings in the spirit that there were different blessings, that there were different things that our God is wanting to give us. There are different things. There are different relational aspects, very different. This is now an opportunity to actually know your God, which was very distinct from the Old Covenant, because the Old Covenant never said anything about actually knowing your God. That was not part of the Old Covenant. That is what is part of the New Covenant, that everyone will know him from the least of them to the greatest of them. They will all know him in the way that he reveals himself to them. That's what's important to see. And so if we recognize that distinction, that difference, 
that there is a difference in terms of what you are going to obtain. There is a difference in terms of the types of blessings that our God promises between the Old and the New Covenant. Then I can tell you about something else, and that is the subject of our inheritance, that we receive an inheritance. And this was explained in Hebrews chapter 9. When I spoke about this in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, that the new covenant has also been described as a will that describes the inheritance that we receive as a result of his death, his death on the cross. Because of the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross, the new covenant went into effect. He offered to us freely the free gift of the Holy Spirit, which is a deposit of the fullness of the inheritance that is now being dispensed to his children. However, those things that are in addition to the Holy Spirit, I believe, are only applicable in the kingdom to come, in the age to come. That has not yet been realized, but will be realized very soon. But between now and then, we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which is the presence of our God within us. And believe it or not, he truly is all that we need. He is all that we need for life and godliness, and he has given us everything that we need for life and godliness in him. We have received all the blessings in the heavenly places, which is described as the person of our God who now indwells within us. And he being given to us has been described as an inheritance. And that's the key word to understand here when you're reading Hebrews chapter 12, verses 16 and 17. And so now, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 16, it says that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. The issue was that Esau was willing to give up his inheritance for something in his flesh. When bringing up Esau to the Hebrews in this context, the writer is then indirectly speaking to the Hebrews, using Esau to say to them that they have been giving up their inheritance in the Messiah for the blessings in their flesh which were described under the Old Covenant. Again, he is speaking to the Hebrews, explaining to them that they were like Esau, willing to let go of, willing to despise or to ignore or not to receive their inheritance under the new covenant because they would prefer to receive the inheritance and the blessings under the old covenant which were given for the flesh. Again, not for the purpose of sinning, but for the purpose of alleviating pain and suffering from labor and things like that. Blessings that our God defined himself, that he said he would ensure that people would receive, of course, if they were obedient to all of the commandments. And so the writer is telling the Hebrews, look, you are still focused on the old covenant. You are still trying to live under the old covenant. You are still trying to live under the law, under the laws of Moses, with the expectation, with the anticipation that you will be blessed for your repentance and obedience. You're assuming that you will be blessed because you obey your God. And that is evil. That is sinful because that is not the inheritance 
that your God has given to you in the Messiah. That is not the inheritance. He has given to you a different inheritance. Not an inheritance of wealth. Not an inheritance of prosperity. Not an inheritance of being free from war or being able to lend and not borrow. Not an inheritance of that. But an inheritance of your God. That is the inheritance that he has given to you. And that is what you are to embrace. He is speaking to the Hebrews through Esau to tell them, look, you must embrace this inheritance that I told you about a couple of chapters ago. The inheritance that I spoke of in Hebrews chapter 9. He now brings it up again in Hebrews chapter 12 in a different context to say that you must turn to your God for what he has to give you. Do not forget, do not ignore, do not despise, do not let go of what he has. Do not substitute it or take something else in its place. And unfortunately, that's what they were doing. And unfortunately, that's what many people in Christianity today are trying to aspire to. There are many people today who are trying to get Christians. There are many Christians who are trying to build themselves up. They are trying to change their lifestyle. They are trying to change their way of living in such a way that they can be like a good Hebrew. That's what they're trying to do. So that they can be a Hebrew of Hebrews. They can be one who repents from their sins and obeys their God and gets blessed as a result. And that is not what our God is doing now. That has nothing to do with the new covenant. But people are living that way. And so when, when you finally, if that's what you believe, if that's how you're living, when you finally become like a Hebrew... When you finally accomplish all that the old covenant demands of you, or you get reasonably close, then come back to this chapter. But until then, you're not even ready for this chapter. You're not even close. You have no place in this at all. This has no place in you. You're going to have to wait until you finally come to the point of recognizing that those blessings mean nothing. They mean absolutely nothing. Your God wants to give himself to you. He doesn't want to give you another one of his cows or one of his lawnmowers or a bigger house or or something like that. That's not what he is doing in your life. That's not why he's here. He's here so that you can know who he is, but you're not going to know who he is until you realize what he's accomplished through the old covenant, until you realize the reality of what is foreshadowed here. But if you don't even know the shadow, then knowing the reality is going to be even more far-reaching The writer goes on to explain the same thing, but in the context of the mountain, the mountain of God, where Moses obtained the commandments of God, where the children of Israel received the commandments of God. The writer goes on to speak of that because that is the context. That is the proper context of Esau. The context of Esau was that the people were going back to the old covenant looking for the blessings there. And so he follows through by saying, hey, look, you don't go back to Moses. You don't go back to Mount Sinai. There is something else. There is something entirely different. There is a different people, a people of God. Beginning in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, it is written, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, 
and to the blast of a trumpet and the sound of words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them, for they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And I, of course, spoke about Abel in Hebrews chapter 11. He makes the transition very clear by explaining, look, you don't go back to the law. You don't go back to Moses. You don't go back to Mount Sinai. You don't go back to that. You need to understand, folks, that if you have entered into the new covenant, He's writing to these Hebrews, Hebrews who quite likely believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but did not understand the implications of what Jesus had actually accomplished for them. And for those, they needed to be told. They needed to be told, look, you have come into a new covenant. You have now entered into a new covenant. And you have come to a different mountain, the mountain of Zion. It's not the mountain of Sinai. You have come to the city of the living God. You have come to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the angels, to the general assembly, and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, not the Israelites who were enrolled in Israel when they were counted there in Sinai. You have now entered into something entirely different. But the Hebrews were not embracing that. They were not really believing that. They were still trying to hang on to that which was the old. They did not walk in to the newness of life that was presented before them. And I believe that this letter was an appeal to them to speak to them. Hey, look, there is something entirely different. There is another inheritance. There is another mountain. There is another city. There is another assembly. There is another church. These are different. They have no relationship to the old. And so if you believe that what he is doing is continuing that which was the old, then it's definitely not the new. You've definitely missed it. You're definitely not in touch with reality. And you are not a part of what the living God is doing right now as he is participating in the world that he has created. You have been left behind and you will be left behind. And you may very well have a place in the kingdom of heaven, but between now and then, you're going to be completely out of what the Lord is actually doing. And you might be okay with that. Maybe you're okay with that. Maybe you just want the Lord to be kind of involved in your life, but you don't really want to be involved in his life. Maybe that's the case. And if that's the case, then I suppose I could pray for you concerning that, because there is something greater than you here on this earth. There is something greater than what you are doing. There is something greater than even the works that he has prepared for you. And that is the greater scope of what your God is doing here. And the fact that you have an opportunity to be a part of what he is doing, to be a part of his purposes. But if you will not embrace 
his covenant that is now in effect, and if you will not embrace his inheritance, he has constructed things in such a way that you will have no place in what he is doing. You will not be a participant in the true purpose of your God here on earth. You will be separated from the fullness of what he is doing. That is the reality of life. And don't get me wrong, I do believe that he can still find a way to work with you, within you, that he can definitely make use of you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that in comparison, in comparison to what you could be involved in, in comparison to what he has called you to, what he is doing, in comparison to that, it's virtually nothing in comparison. And so I want to encourage you to pursue a knowledge and understanding of this. I really want to encourage you in this regard to really think about this and to ask the Lord, ask him to give you insights concerning this. Ask him to show you what you might be believing that is not true. Ask him to show you that. And if he testifies in your spirit that what I am saying is true, embrace it and let him do what he does. Let him perform his perfect work within you and he will conform you to his image. He will guide you, and you will be a participant in his activity here on earth. You can trust him concerning this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, it is written, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. It is him that we are to ensure that we do not refuse. Do not refuse him, your God. It's not an issue of whether you're going to refuse to repent or refuse to obey. It is a matter of whether or not you are going to refuse him and what he is giving to you. This is an example of who this letter was written to and the struggle they were having in embracing the new covenant because they were where many Christians are trying to go. They were in a situation where they felt that they had finally accomplished enough holiness in their life that they would be acceptable to God to the extent where he would respond and bless them in their daily lives. That is where many people in Christianity today are trying to aspire to. They are trying to aspire to get to that point. And I sincerely believe that the writer is addressing that kind of person. And so when you finally arrive at that point, then this letter will certainly be much more applicable to you. But I pray that before you get ensnared by such things, that you will trust in what Jesus has already done for you. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website 
livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net.